0: <laughs> Wake up in the morning, get my grand old. i in the shower, brush my teeth, and get my shine old. it got a map, we take you trips to different time zones. I feel like ET waiting, bitches trying to fall home. Wake up in the morning, get my grand old.
1: Welcome, everybody, to Living on Purpose Podcast, where your host, James Hagler, and myself, Jason Wilson, tonight. We have a special guest, Rona Bennett. Rona, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm very happy to be here.
1: So Rona is a, if you don't know already, she's an R&B legend with In Vogue and actor, life coach. She's got all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, We're really excited about this interview. Um, Rona, as a child, what was your dream? What did you want to do?
2: Ah, uh, I would say that I captured the dream to be a singer like Whitney Houston, uh, more specifically at the age of ten. But I was singing and performing to myself, uh, probably by the age of eight.
1: Wow. Okay. Okay. Was anybody in your family a singer too, or a musician?
2: No. Well, no. Uh, if anything, maybe my dad's mom used to sing in church a little bit, but she wasn't even in the choir really. I just remember her kind of being a hummer, if you will, or a singer. But um, nobody in my family kind of blazed that trail. Wow. So, so, when, um, so when you were singing to yourself, right? When did, when did everybody knew that you could sing? When did you, you know, like, when did it come, uh, come about? I would say, uh, I'm from Chicago. So, you know, we have basements in right. Chicago. Yeah, like the same ways. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from Boston. Oh, gosh. You're from- <laughs> okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. So those uh, wood panel walls back in the 70s and 80s, yeah. you would have the uh, insulation behind the walls. Yes. For me, when I would go into the basement of my parents' home, I would, you know, see beyond those wood panel walls into a theater really, of people who be appreciating whatever I was doing on the stage. Uh, I would always be performing. I don't know what I was doing because I don't know if I was singing. I don't know if I was acting, but I was definitely entertaining. You are doing both, right? <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah.
2: And I used to have uh, imaginary children that I would discipline. And my parents probably thought I was a little special. You know, they <laughs> walked down the stairs uh, quite often for me to be quiet. Um, but in the summers, my sister and I would go down to Alabama, and a lot of my family is from the south, you know, so my mom and my dad came from the same town, and uh, when we would go down there, my maternal grandmother used to take care of foster kids, and my cousins would come over there all the time, so that was kind of our central hub where we would hang out, you know. and. I learned to pick peas, you know, back in the day. That was organic back then. We had a rooster.
3: Yeah.
2: Seriously, my dad would always go down to Alabama and pick the pecans off the trees and make pecan pie when we would come home. So uh, I learned really early about organic living. Uh, We had a rooster that would wake us up at 5 (laughs) a.m. send us outside to do work but I was really young at the time so she would kind of let me slide but I would watch them you know do the work and somehow I would always end up rounding up the foster kids and my cousins to do a talent show Mm. and she was the one that told my parents you know maybe you want to pay attention to her she's not just this loud mouth kind of wild kid there might be something there and that's what kind of took things off no no doubt No, no doubt
1: okay so yeah, visualization is a powerful thing. So you were doing this as a child.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, but back in the day, we all had those imaginations because we didn't have no, you know, games to play or anything like that, video games and stuff like that. So we had to use our our our, our imaginations, you know, and, you know, make up imaginary friends. I had them too, you know? <laughs> 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 like, what was their name? yeah yeah, uh, who you talking to down there?
1: <laughs> <Nobody>? <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. So, um, at what age were you picked up by women's women of uh, Brewster's
2: place? That was after I had started to perform in the city of Chicago. So my when I first got my opportunity to perform live, it was in church. So I do have a foundation in church. I was in the children's choir. Um, I wasn't really that fond of our choir director at the time, so I didn't (laughs) necessarily like it, but it was a great way for me to get started, and uh, there's another group of kids that sing amazingly in Chicago, and they were called, and I think they're still going, the Soul Children of Chicago, and that was where I got a lot of my um, initial performance chops. I was the second soprano uh, in the choir, and I was always getting hoarse, and that's what kind of pushed me into getting vocal lessons and mm. started to refine this raw talent. And um, that uh, the lady who was teaching me my vocal foundation, um, I, I don't know if she told me, but you know, when she was when I was ready to kind of spread my wings. Uh, I got involved in a local theater in Chicago. It's called uh, ETA Theater. It was on the south side of Chicago. A lot of Black talent came up there. I got my first chance at uh, acting. Well, first I was a background singer. And when I saw the kids acting, I was like, I want to do that. And my mom, you know, closed mouth doesn't get fed. She Uh went to the director and she was like, can Rona do something, you know, like the kids are doing? And he said, "Okay." I'll have her the next year. He said, I'll have her understudy for the lead of this play. And I took this very seriously. I took this to heart. And so I went home and I learned these lines and I learned everything. My mother was going back and forth with me with this stuff. And the young lady who was supposed to lead, I guess she got cold feet and wasn't prepared. And so he said, well, Rona, you have to go up and do this. And I was beyond prepared and ended up, opening the play and didn't come down. And that was my introduction. And then a, um, a talent scout came to that play. And hmm. that's where I got my first agent. And they were the ones that sent me out for my first major gig that I landed with Oprah. Oprah. Winfrey.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. So um, at what point did you become a Mouseketeer? Was it immediately after that?
2: Or how did that happen? I booked the Women of Brewster's Place when I was 13. And then after that, I did what they call a cattle call. I don't even know if they do that anymore, where they just call kids from all over the nation. And they say, this is an audition. And you come in, and they just whittle it down over time. And I went in with the cattle call of Chicago. And they ended up sending us for the final audition to Los Angeles. So that was my first uh, experience with that. And um, I picked it up at 14. Okay. Huh? How did you like it? I loved it. I mean, yeah, you know, especially in hindsight, I would say that being a Mouseketeer was me getting training on steroids. (laughs) We did everything. They taught us. They gave us media training. I have Disney media training in me. Uh, We did... um, music videos, we did uh, dance numbers and performances with five cameras at the time so you had to learn how to direct your energy to different cameras while you were still performing to an audience of kids that were watching. Uh, we did um, interviews of some of the you know great stars of that time. We had you know people like TLC and Brian McKnight and all the major stars would come through the Mouse Club, believe mm-hmm. it or not. We yeah. were very uh, socially conscious at that time. So, you know, we were talking about race and equality and we brought on Jesse Jackson and, you know, got an opportunity to interview him and travel to different parts of the United States and do docu docu pieces like on a glacier in Alaska. Uh, (laughs) They kept you guys busy. (laughs) (laughs) When I look back at what they were able to accomplish uh, with these kids, it amazes me because we were producing uh, five half hour shows a week every day of the school week people kids will be able to come home and watch us for a half hour after their right. school day I don't know how they coordinated it
0: huh.
2: but yeah
0: no doubt so when you when you run into Jason uh Jason um uh, uh Timberlake and all those
2: guys do you guys reminisce about that or what? You know I don't see Justin as much Justin Justin um, I'm sorry yeah, yeah. Justin no problem i won't see him he's gonna want to beat me up (laughs) (laughs) um i don't see much but initially he was very involved in coming back and connecting um a lot of kids i mean i'm sure you know christina aguilera um ryan gosling who was an oscar nominee i mean there are some extremely talented kids that came out of that camp and that's another reason why i can say it was like performance arts on steroids because they really gave this um great preparation foundation for us to go out and do great things
1: Hmm. did you ever suffer from like stage fright or anything like that
2: i still do do you yes um for me the people think that just forgive me People think that um, because I'm a singer professionally that I just love to sing. That Yeah. Walk into a nightclub, they're like, oh, bro. I'm like, please don't call me. (laughs) I want to be in the back. I want to admire and appreciate other people's talent. I just found out from my mom where my fear of um, performing in in front of small groups or just being put on the spot Hmm. might have come. But for some reason, I developed this thing where I always I would hang back. But if I know mentally that I'm about to go in for game time, if you will, there's something else that turns on in me. And I'm just going to call it the divine uses me at that time. But I'm not one of those that's like chomping at the bit to show my talent. Um, Hmm. It's something that has to happen in me organically. And then I show up and I'm this me.
3: Right, right 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 yes.
2: so is, is it like so you would you call
0: it a switch yes because my dad was the same when he fights so he get like into this mode and and that's that he's focused boom and there's nothing that can can take him out of that focus he's just in there he knows like when he goes like he'll do a pre-training and that's get himself ready for a training camp and once he got the training camp that was it and all the way to the fight till the fight is over <laughs> <laughs>
2: ask you all what i see this uh, virtual like boxing ring behind you what what is that about is that a- <laughs>
0: right. oh the, the uh, jason did this for the uh for the podcast and um uh, i guess you know I, you would have to ask jason I, I <laughs> <answer that question. laughs>
1: all right well this is an interesting story real quick um the way i met james was on linkedin and I had a post about uh, my podcast show that started actually last year during the pandemic, right mm-hmm. in the middle of it. And I had Ray Leonard Jr. on my on my uh, podcast during that time, and we had maybe like four or five other guests on there. And uh, right before the podcast, I had a blackout <laughs> for like powerful. fifteen, yeah, fifteen minutes. This thing was highly embarrassing, right? So, you know, uh, as soon as the power came back on, Ray Leonard Jr., was, he was really cool about this ho- the whole situation. And he was like, Jason, when you're trying to do something important and help people, something like this happens, man. You wow. know, so he, he was like, yeah, don't even worry about it. It's cool. Um, and then I made a post about that recently, back in October last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, James made a comment on that post. And I was like, I wonder if that's Marvis." Marvelin, Marvelous Marvin Hagler's son. So it turned out it was, and we had a conversation. You know, he had spent like what twenty years in Atlanta, James. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, so we had a lot of in common there. And yeah. um, you know, I asked him, would he like to be on a, a guest on my, or actually a co-host on my podcast? And he said, yeah. Nice. Yeah.
0: And that's when the ring came back. Yeah.
1: I like it. So his like dad it. was, you know, one of my heroes from boxing back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So to honor his dad and to honor James, I, I wanted to have something like this uh, with a boxing ring. And um, we, we recently just uh, partnered up to do fight shows uh, and fight parties, actually, in Atlanta starting this year in August. Wow. So, so listen, you got to come.
2: Okay, well, thank you for the hey,
1: We might
0: put you to work because I might, I might need somebody to sing the national anthem. So, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: so how was it working with uh, Jamie Foxx? Amazing. I mean, you both know he's like a multi-talented beast. Yeah. Um, extremely creative. Uh, I thought, you know, even, you know, with Jamie and the other comedians that were on there, Alex Thomas, uh, Chris Spencer, I mean, all of them have stellar careers right now. So he was surrounded by a lot of greatness. So it was just nice to be in that energy, to watch them work, um, to see how they would pull from what the writers would give them and then how they would grow that thing in the Mm -hmm. moment. Always very powerful to watch really talented people take work and make it more. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No
0: doubt. I definitely agree.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then um, musically, um, I mean, he's he's very talented in that area too. Um, did you ever want to like collaborate with him or, or other musicians during that time?
2: Not during that time. I mean, I guess you could say that we were collaborating on the show. We did a lot of singing. Um, Even years later, it seems that that particular time on the show has become kind of like a little cult classic, Uh, the the jingle off. And um, (laughs) yeah, that was was the dopest
0: one. When you first
2: came on there and you guys was battling, that was one of my (laughs) favorites. Oh, uh, I love that one. <laughs> yeah. fun. And now that I look back on it, I, I, it warms my heart that it has become what it's become because kids grew up with that. Now they're like in their 20s and 30s and they're still, you know, repeating back these things and they've always wanted us to um, record this song. It was like a half song that Jamie wrote, uh, right. If I'm not at home, leave a message for me. People okay. would love for that to be like a real song. So if I ever did collaborate with Jamie, I would probably mm-hmm. want to go ahead and make that a real song
0: no doubt no okay. doubt. That'd be dope. that would be
1: dope yeah no
0: doubt.
1: but is is there anybody else now that you would want to collaborate with
2: real talk i love elder Bart. do you it's like super classic yeah, we- even with the ladies <laughs> in vogue we for our pre-game warm-up you know before we do shows uh, we always have like a playlist of music that when we're doing our makeup and we're just having conversations we want to have playing in the background and one of our staple albums is his second chance album from 2010 so if you don't have it i highly recommend that you pick it up i think he's like one of the melody kings you know uh-huh. he has a way to um move the spirit with the way that he plays chords and then mm-hmm. of course you know, he has a very unique sound. DeBarge had a very unique sound. One of my favorite groups of all time. So nice. honestly, he would be one of the people I would want to collaborate with.
1: Yeah, very talented uh, musician, songwriter, everything.
0: Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. OK. Now, Invogue. how did that whole group come about with you uh, involved in it?
2: Um at the time, I was pursuing a solo career. So I had worked with Rodney Jerkins, uh, who was a prodigy at the time. He was working on everybody's stuff. He was doing uh, Whitney's My Love is Your Love project. he did Destiny's Child Save My Name. He was working with everybody. He did Michael's Invincible project um, mm. I had had that tenure and I was kind of in a space where I was I wasn't sure where I was going next but I was still focused on a solo career. But one of my Mouseketeer brothers, uh, <laughs> Ricky, <laughs> um, who is another exceptionally talented person, Latin Grammy award winning, like killing it, FIFA, you know, all of that stuff. Um, he called me in to do a demo for a record that he was producing with another guy. And when I finished, the other gentleman was like, I don't know if you would be interested in something like this, but in Vogue is looking for another member. Hmm. And I would not have even That thought would never have entered my mind. One, that I would be in a group, but also that I would be with such a legendary group like Invo. Yeah. Um, But they did decide to, I said, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, and they introduced me to one of the founders of the group, Denzel Foster. And so he came in, he listened to my stuff that I did with Rodney. And I'm also a songwriter. So he was listening to some of my stuff as a songwriter. And Denny has a really interesting way of knowing, cause he, they structured the vocals for uh, In Vogue. So they understand how to use their strengths. Mm-hmm. And so I guess he felt like I would be a good fit for them based on what he was hearing. And so he said he wanted me to go up and meet them in the Bay. At the time it was just Cindy and Terry, who it is currently now. Right. But, uh, I went up and met them. We sat in the studio. They listened to my work. And that was it. It just seemed to... Uh, Jill. So feels a bit divine, like Spirit already had it in mind. I We were all just kind of catching up to it. I don't know.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. So, um, I mean, are you guys friends? Do you guys get along? Do you fight? <laughs> <laughs> so that's,
2: that's one of the things I can appreciate about our configuration, um, somehow, some way, we have found a way to respect one another in our differences, uh, keep a collective vision together. Even if, you know, like that's the thing about groups to me is that everybody's not necessarily going to be on the same page. Yeah. Where maybe they think it can go or where they want it to go. Um, maybe even the type of music you want to produce, how soon you want to accomplish something. But if you can find a way to respect where everybody is and just kind of hang back and let a collective vision come together, it can work. I have not, I've been working with them off and on since 2003. So uh, there's a time, there's twice that the original members tried to come back and, you know, see what could happen. But right. whatever, it didn't happen. And I've always just kind of been there. And mm. so here we are almost 20 years later. Yeah. Okay, and you- like a team effort, though, you
0: know. <laughs> <clears throat> Most groups is, you know, that's what that's how I see it. It's it's a team effort. You guys come together. You get you do what you have to do. Make the song. Go out there. Do the concerts. Do what you have to do. Get it yeah. done. You know what I mean? Because if because if, once it's not I, it's all of y'all. You know. Mm. Yes,
2: yes, yes, yes. And that was one of the things that I wanted to do too. Coming into such a. Um, a legendary um, brand. Yes, because, you know, is a legendary brand. Um, yes. It's not. It's the sum of all of its parts. It's not just one person that makes the group what it is. It's all of it. Even the producers and yeah, yeah. You know, and Tommy, they created the sound, and you know mm. everybody plays a role. And so I just wanted to keep with the integrity of what In Vogue was about. How can I contribute and bring my authenticity to what is already there?
1: Hmm. Like creative wise, do you guys ever clash with that? I mean, everybody in the group is so talented. How do you blend that together and you know not have any differences? I mean, that's got to be difficult.
2: You know what's interesting to me, and this is a credit to Terry and Cindy, um, they really respect Tommy and Denny, who hmm. created, you know, founded the group, and they trust their direction. They even trusted Denny bringing me into the folder. Like if Denny's giving her the stamp of approval, there's gotta be something about this young lady that makes him feel like it fits with the initial, I guess, um, idea of what in Vogue is about. And so um, even though we have worked with other producers over time, they still go back to Denny and Tommy, um, hmm. to keep the, the, the thread of what makes in Vogue, in Vogue present. And so that, I think, removes our little personal egos out of the way because it's like, well, what do you think, Denny and Tommy, you know? Mm. Um, and not say that they can't think for themselves. Uh, we all have it's our- like
0: the referee, though. Like... Yeah,
2: and you respect the job of the referee. You're like, I may not agree with the call you just made on the court. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's a part of the game. And yes. because I can keep the bigger picture in mind, I'm able to still play. Exactly.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay, so where do you pref- uh, prefer to perform, in the United States or in Europe?
2: All, however, that's and- a good
0: answer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> something about going overseas is powerful. There uh-huh. is something about how I I experience that they respect and honor um, legacy. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you might not hear about um, Lionel Richie performing in America. We probably, I don't know if you could find like a, a, a Lionel Richie concert unless you're going out there and searching it out. We we seem to be obsessed a little bit in American culture to me with the new, uh, the latest, you know, and we kind of could throw away our artists. And mm-hmm. to me, you're missing out on the seasonedness of who they are. Right. Um, But Europe seems to appreciate that for some reason. You can go see a Tina Turner concert over there and she is sold out in an arena. Uh, These people are sold out. You may not hear about Grace Jones over in America, but she's thriving in Europe. Still? Yes. What? Wow. They're they're
1: faithful.
2: They're faithful.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) And that's powerful to me. So when we go over there, they just have an appreciation for the music. They have an appreciation for R&B, maybe because it is a bit novelty, you know, it's American, hmm. but, um, and they appreciate the soul that came from America. They just, um, I don't know, I find that there's a different level of appreciation and respect. Like of course. That. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Any countries in particular that you love over there?
2: Yes, uh, Japan. They love the music. Uh, it's that was one of the first places I went where it was like a culture shock for me. I went in two thousand for the first time uh-huh. and I remember it wasn't as what I would say is Americanized now where they have more English marquees and things that might cater a little bit to you know back then it was like symbols and I was like, <laughs> I, I, you know order any food. I remember I'm going to McDonald's because that's the only thing I'd be like, okay, I know I know that, yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but Um, It's a fun culture to witness. Um, I I think it's such a stark difference from American culture, so that's nice to appreciate. I really loved Italy, Rome, Mm. the fashion. Now it's kind of because of social media and our connectivity, Um, I feel like we get to fashions a lot sooner, it's a lot of collaboration. But back then, before all of this um, accessibility, uh, it might be six months before America. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know what I'm saying? So it was right. going to, go to shop and bring it back to America and
0: stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, dad, my dad lived over there. And yeah. when, when I was going over there to visit him, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get me some fashion. This is a like thing in the early 90s. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get me some clothes. He said, you? you ain't gonna get no clothes. I said, "Why? what are you talking about that? He said, you ain't got no clothes to fit you i'll go get some jabo
2: jeans he was like you ain't gonna find that your side <laughs> no then you probably know james like the Portions and size, oh. how they eat in Europe it's very different from America. Okay, mm. and they got in,
0: and they have a siesta time. That was crazy. I was like a siesta every day. You he said hey, we're going to leave. We'll come back at I think it was four o'clock or two o'clock. They shut down for four hours
2: and they go all night. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: amazing. And that was another place I love, Spain. Uh-huh. That's another one of my yeah. favorite places to visit. Um, there's just a different. Um, hmm, I don't know, kind of respect for living, right? They pause, um, you know, dinner could be three hours in Europe and they don't think twice about it. We're so quick. We yeah. want the now. They don't really return a lot of stuff, you know.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> over here, we're like, I don't want it. Oh, this- yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is
1: yeah. Now, would you live over there?
2: Mm, I don't not now, but maybe in my whatever could be considered retirement years,
3: mm-hmm. uh, depending
2: on the type of environment it is. A lot of things have changed with this. Culture. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so Definitely. I don't have the same affinity to going over there like I would have chosen uh, Italy or Spain as a spot that I would do. But uh, a lot of things have changed now, so I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Now,
1: Rona. Um what was your motivation for being a life coach?
2: Oh, wow. Um, huh. Well, okay. So uh, over a decade now, uh, I remember I used to give advice to people, you know, whether it be family, friends, or a stranger, and they would tell me that I kind of had a knack for it. You know, I might create breakthrough for someone in the moment. Mm. And so I, I was like you know it'd be kind of cool to be a life coach it wasn't as popular as it is now but I was aware of that vocation and um, nothing really pushed me to put real structure behind it it was just like a fleeting desire but uh, after being in Vogue and the second time that uh, the original members decided to come back together at that time I was a bit complacent I had gotten comfortable right and I got (laughs) a from a lot of the things that made me successful in the first place. So for example, in my early twenties, especially, I remember uh, learning about things like the law of attraction and meditation, visualization, um, probably around 18. Uh, I was I was diving deep into stuff like this. And then mm-hmm. when I hit about 20, I was uh, very disciplined Um, Now, I've been very disciplined throughout my career. My parents were thoroughbreds. My mom worked in the government for like 43 years. My dad worked for a construction company for like 30 some odd years. So they were Mm. very consistent people. Uh, My parents got up early in the morning. Um, I witnessed a level of uh, consistency and commitment. So I did have a natural um, affinity to structure and discipline. After about this five years of time, I got a little complacent. So I stopped visualizing. I used to wake up every morning, um, going, you know, used to do color therapy. I would bring in colors, you know, that would mean certain things and then boom, vision. And I would see myself, you know, performing in front of arenas, uh, performing Mm. on crowds. It wasn't happening yet, but I would see it every day, boom, vision, right? Mm. So then I was experiencing some of that manifestation, obviously, with the group, Um, but when they came back, I had gotten away from a lot of those practices. I wasn't planting seeds, watering them with my attention. Um, you know, I was still disciplined in my physical self because in Vogue is about that. They represent a certain kind of discipline. Right. Um, But for me, my practices were kind of, you know, like that. And so when that happened, um, I was like, whoa, I haven't been nurturing relationships. You know how they say your network is your net worth. Yeah. Um, I hadn't been you know, out on the um, grind, if you will, auditioning or anything like that. I was just working. And so uh, I was looking at a drought, you know? I didn't, I was like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> um, after maybe a year of trying to figure out what that was, I was not making money, okay? So eventually mm-hmm. that's gonna start running out. Whatever your little savings are, yeah. going will start running out. Right. And I had to start seriously considering, am I looking at a new career? Because all the doors of opportunity that I was trying to push open would not budge.
3: Hmm.
2: It, I, I didn't even know, I, I almost felt like I was starting over um, looking for an agent. I was like, how do we, where are we right now? And, right, right. right? And our entertainment industry, I feel, is one of the most risky businesses in that we're very vulnerable to te- technological advances you know, um, pirating started becoming a thing. People were stealing music. They can bootleg your movies. So things were happening where it was taking money out of the pockets of creatives. Right. And we were to learn to adapt or die. If you will, a lot of people started quitting the business. Um, remember a list actors were starting to do what what was considered B list things. They would come down to television. I was like, what is this so yeah, yeah, yeah. we separated at one time. Yeah. Yeah. So I was this drought, if you will, was happening at that major transitional time in the entertainment industry. And mm-hmm. so I was being pushed just like everybody else to adapt or die, if you will. And so at the time I was dating someone and he brought home this CD from Anthony Robbins, one of the motivational gurus that are out there. Yes. And it was his um get the edge series you know? And so he decided to play this CD that they gave them at the office just to kind of give them an introduction to what he does. And if you want to take advantage of the programs, you know, call me. And so I decided to listen to it. And that was the game changer for me. I was like, hmm. oh, I'm in a winter because I learned um, how to kind of coin what I was going through. There's another great motivational speaker out there named Jim Rohn. If
3: yeah. You're not
2: familiar, you, know, you know, Jim. Yes. R-O-H-N for, you know, those who want to check it out. And Jim uh, described the seasons as something that we could experience from our human perspective. So he's like, if you're in a winter, this is not a time that we can plant seeds and water them and produce a garden. It's the ground mm-hmm. part. It's it's cold. You, you can't turn it over with any gardening tools. You got to hybrid like the bears. And so I was like, I'm in a winter right now. Mm-hmm. And it's a time for self-reflection. It's a time for me to re- to reassess the choices that I've been making over time. How have they produced the results I'm looking at? Exactly, right. So that I did. I started to do some self-evaluation and then I was like, I gotta change my habits. I gotta, one, now before I was unconsciously creating success. I was just, I had good work ethic. I was like a workhorse, like my parents. I learned this great foundational disciplines from the Disney, you know, from being a Disney kid, if you will, all these things I had picked all up, skills. all these skills, right. Get back to that. And now I got to start deliberately creating right. success
0: and get mm. your vision back. Once you stop visioning things, cause that's what, that's all happens right there. That's how the dreams become true. Yeah, uh, My dad had his vision of being world champion. He, Always had that vision, you know. what I mean, and that's what he worked hard towards. And he always just tell me, anything you want, you gotta visualize it first. See yourself at, See yourself winning. See yourself doing it. See yourself doing that. And 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 before you know it, you stop doing that. Now you're living in your purpose. Now 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 you're living the dream, and and, and it starts to happen, you know. So I just listened to a lot of that, and I was like, wow. When I was young, I really didn't understand it too much as a teenager. But yeah. then as I started getting older. I started, you know, trying to put a little of that test in that and finding out success and, you know, and, and putting
2: putting putting in God's hands, so to speak. Yeah. Things things come through. Right. You said something key for me, putting it in God's hands. That's what I felt like was happening with me. Like God had to put me on my knees. I had to. Yeah, see- that's I'm- right. He got so he could show you. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm not letting these doors open because I need you to see something. I yes. need mm-hmm. you to see habits that are not producing the results you want. I need you to see the mindset that you've gotten away from that produces success. I need mm. you to get back into a rhythm and routines for that. So I right. because what he did you is going to help him. Yes.
0: You know what
2: I'm so. saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know about to get gap. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so that was how it started. I just um. I, I got to that. And then I started studying my face off. I started following a lot of champions. I started looking at what they do to produce success in different um, professions, you know, uh, looking at people who were successful respectively, but they could be in different, you know, fields. That's right. and, um, and then I uh, started to blog and write. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to help other people while I help myself.
3: Hmm. So
2: I started writing. And then I started uh, learning how to do video blogs and pushing myself to do things that were uncomfortable, but to my comfort zone. Yeah, feel me. I even had to. I've been working in the entertainment industry professionally since 12 years old. I got mm-hmm. my first nine to five at 31 or something like that. It was like a, I don't remember what time it was, but it was in my 30s or 35. I don't remember, and uh, it was a very um, eye opening, uh, humbling experience. I got lucky that one of my buddies was like into alternative medicine and that's an interest of mine as well. So I dived into his business and I learned like every part of his business. I was in customer service. I was in like shipping. I was in product creation and I started to um, talk to people and I was like noticing where there might be a void. And so I wrote books at the time um, initially, I wouldn't have thought I would have been an author, but the guy who owned the company was like, Ro, you need to write a book. And I was like, oh, You know, it sounded very overwhelming. He was like, You know, a book today diverse, is first, it does, yeah, it does. But you <laughs> want me to write? He said, Rona, a book is two pages because he was thinking about <laughs> ebooks because they were coming up and <laughs> I was like, hey, pages, right. But because he chunked it down to this small goal, I was like, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. And that made Maybe me like my first 20-page book. And then they kept growing from there. Hmm. And then I and there was another book for you guys, another resource for the, your listeners. There was another book I picked up by this guy named Ogmandino, The University of Success. So I re- I read that book. And i took it very seriously because i was really cho- choosing to come out of my winter it was stressful it was tough and i was like one of the things that i kept telling myself over and over is that i'm gonna call the shots on my time again it's not going to be like this always because yeah. i was burning the candle at both ends of the stick i was like going to that job and then i wouldn't drop the ball on my personal dreams when i got home so i would write I would create little videos for the company. And then I would go to bed, wake up in the morning, I'm working out. I was doing my thing from the get the edge thing. You know, I was keeping mm. myself in my routine. And then eventually, because I played at 150% and applied all of this stuff I was learning from books like The University of Success, I got probably three raises at that company within the year that I was there. Wow. And I feel like saw that I was doing the work, it's like you got it, kid. And then the doors opened again, and hmm. I was, yeah, no,
0: you know, you was focused, you know, that, yeah, and, you know, people don't understand that working out plays a big part in your success, man. Right? I mean, I had everybody say say the same thing, you know. You everybody just, you know. I started working out. Then I started doing that stuff do This next, you know, poof, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I find myself doing the same thing. So, and I got noticed because my, my dad worked out all the time. So I know that that's that's our foundation in my family. You know, you get down, you get depressed, go to the gym, mm. go to the gym. You know, get it moving, because once you get that blood moving and you get in that environment, you feel great afterwards. You got a lot more energy and it just helps you. It helps you keep a balance in your head. Right. Things that you're trying to accomplish.
2: Runa, do, you, do you work out every day? No, not every day, but I am picking up steam again under normal circumstances, I would say at least four times a week. Um, but I am starting to do, uh, like natural calisthenics. So there's something that I started when I would do some of my little Instagram podcasts, like 33, 33, 33. So it's like 33 push-ups, 33 jump squats, 33 sit-ups. So it's always something that you can do to slide it in for uh-huh. that mental toughness, mental exactly. resilience and physical, you know.
0: Uh, yeah. You yeah. don't have to spend 30, 30 days on it. You know, just go all these hours, just, just get it in. It can yeah. be 10 minutes, two, two seconds. As long as you get it in, you feel like. You know, you're like, okay, I accomplished something. I got something done. Now let's let's do the next step, you
1: know? Yeah. For all the women out there, I mean, you look fantastic. Um, Obviously you work (laughs) out, but (laughs) what's your diet like?
2: I have a mostly pescatarian diet. Uh, I do eat a lot of vegan vegetarian, uh, but I will allow myself to have fish, uh, seafood um, when I want to stretch. And enjoy my life. But okay. I have enjoyed um, eating that way. And I, I fast every month uh, okay. for three days at least.
0: Three days. That's, that's,
2: that's that a is, good fast. That, that's yeah. a good fast. Three days is a good fast. Yeah, I You know what, I started this practice back in 2017 in the middle of the year, and I have not stopped since. There's something about, cause we don't have to be perfect, right? We're just, for me, I like to tell people to shoot for excellence because perfection, what is that? It doesn't leave you room to be human too, right? right. Mm-hmm. We're always striving into a greater ideal. And what fasting does for me, aside from the mental toughness that it can produce because it's like, you're telling yourself um, that you can do this, you can control the flesh. You know, and that can produce a certain level of integrity within ourselves. But also, if you do get into some sketchy habits, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it puts a, a full stop on it. It's like, no nope, stopping, honoring, you know, no drinking, no this, no that, whatever our things are that may be our little vices and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It gives us an opportunity to put a, a full stop on that and honor ourselves, our body and our mindsets. So that's been really powerful for me. My, my,
0: my dad used to always say to me, Give yourself a chance. He said he used to always say, Give yourself a chance. Don't worry about all that stuff. That's gonna be there when you get there. Trust me, it's mm-hmm. gonna be greater. Give it yourself a chance, you know. And I was I I really like I said, when I was young, I didn't understand it until, until I got older and I started really thinking about that. I said, give yourself a chance. That's right. Because if I look back at it, when he was 24 years old, he was doing his thing. Mm. <laughs> he was fighting he was doing his thing. He was fighting. He was giving himself a chance. He said the only thing that was going to beat him was the fact that that he that I mean, he said I'm not going I'm not going to beat myself. That what he said. I'm not going to beat myself. I'm going I'm going to make sure I'm in great shape and all that. If somebody beat me, they beat me while I was at my best. Mm-hmm. Not not because I didn't do something. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's tough, man.
3: You yeah, know?
0: and that's how he's that's how he did his whole career. Every every time he stepped in the ring, he was 100 mm. percent I like it. You know, I take a lot of that advice. I I start taking a lot of that advice. <laughs> I started just like, man, I start remembering stuff, you know, because when you're a kid, you do when you're a kid, you do what you want to do. You know, it's it's a different, it's a different life yeah. as, after you get over, after you get over your twenties, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> sure.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, that adult kicks in. <laughs> oh, yeah,
3: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a stop. 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 wait a minute. wait a minute. <laughs> oh, man. Close down.
1: So, Runa, with your life coaching, uh, are you still doing
2: retreats? I am. I have a life coaching school, a Personal Power University. It started in 2016, uh-huh. and going strong I'm, i just uh, started the next round of transformation they last for three months 12 weeks uh two tuesdays ago so um i got a new round of students and we're walking together to see what kind of breakthroughs we can get nice mm-hmm.
0: so is it something like life management skills too is, is are, uh is being taught as well
2: yeah, you know, I believe uh, and notice through my own life experience and other people's experiences that success is not about just acquiring things, right? It's about a holistic approach to it, mental um, health, physical health, spiritual health, um, mm. emotional intelligence and health and so that is what i help people to do is to uh walk uh we go through limiting beliefs you know as somebody else's approval in the way of your dreams what does being creative really mean and allowing that to show up for you personally and in your professional life because you're operating in your in your authenticity we talk about energy drainers we talk about unmet needs which a lot of people have they don't realize it keeps them from living from deeper places like their purpose and their values we mm. talk about value system how just getting that on deck and operating from that space can improve the quality of your life, your connections, your being, your doing, your thinking, your everything. Uh, we talk about emotional stuff and I save that for the latter end of the program because by then I normally have been able to build good rapport with the people that I have yeah. so they can trust me with their stuff. Exactly, that's what i You me? Look under the hood now and let's see the inner workings that could be posing a block to your prosperity. So if you have some shame that you're carrying, you think you can hide it and repress it, it's probably repressing other things in your life. You know, you might be trying to repress anger, but you don't realize you're also repressing your creativity. Mm. You know, so we do shadow work and um, we talk about letting go, whether it's an ideology or a person or a thing or a situation. So it's it's a holistic approach to success at Personal Power University.
1: That's wonderful.
2: Thank you. It's been very rewarding for me. That's my heart work, you know, other yeah. than that's that's my heart work. Right, no doubt.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Rona, this has been a pleasure. I mean, we got to have her
0: back, right, James? I mean, <laughs> No doubt. No doubt. It was, it was, I'm learning a whole lot. Yeah. Me <laughs> yeah.
1: Rona, we got to have a part two now. Come on.
2: <laughs> that. This has been really great. I love uh, being able to dig in both of your stories, James. Jason, this has been great. Thank you for having
0: me. You're welcome. Well,
2: well, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. When, yeah, absolutely. when
0: Jason told me who you were, I, I knew from in Vogue, right? But I kept looking at your post, and I was like, oh, from somewhere I thought, in some way, I just couldn't put my finger on it. And then before you came on, and I was like, she was on the Jamie Foxx show, so I'm talking about. <laughs> And Jason, was like, yes. And I was like, oh, she was the one that would give Jamie a hard time and and, 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 and battle Jamie, right? <laughs> he was like, yeah. And I was like, wow. Because when I was, when my father passed last year in March, I had to go up to uh, Boston and I stayed at a friend's house and, you know, I was a little bit depressed and stuff. So I, on, he didn't have no cable. So I had to watch regular TV, and every <laughs> time I think at eleven o'clock, the Jamie the Jamie Fox show come on, and I watched all the episodes right until it, I mean I think it went off at seven at night. I stopped from eleven to seven. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> like all this yellow man. It was just nice. This is this is uh this is this is a pleasure right here. Yeah, it's yeah. Nice. great to meet you. It's a pleasure
2: to meet you too.
1: Thank you. Oh, always great to talk to you, Rona. I mean, yeah. yes from the heart. <laughs> Rona, how can people find you on social media?
2: Well, you can, of course, go to my turnstile. That's ronabennett.com. You'll get all my handles there. But if you are an Instagram person, I am official Miss r and that's M-I-S-S-R, the letter N and B, uh, Miss R&B on Twitter. And then I think, even though I have a fan page, I'm more active on my main page on Facebook, and that's Rona Bennett 7 So-
1: Okay, and for invogue fans, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: You can go to Invogue Music for all of our stuff. So that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Okay, great. And what are your, and what are the names of your books, and where can you find them? You can find them on my website. I have five mini books. Uh, that I've uh, authored and I'm getting ready to come out with my oh my goodness this has been an effort that's been being produced for me for sheesh almost five years and I'm finally going to be getting ready to produce it in the probably spring summer of this year that's coming and it is a mentor book for the music business but it's Hmm. speaking to Coaching aspect of it, so I get to share with you my experience, what I've observed about the industry. I've been in uh, the business professionally for over thirty years now, so it's a way for you to know how it works, what it's about, and how to keep your authenticity while you're moving throughout the business. Definitely. I think we mm. should have you back on when you when that drops. Yeah, that would be nice. I would love to come back after that drops. That's yeah. going to be major for me, a major accomplishment for me.
1: Okay, to when is back. that coming out?
2: I'm hoping. My target is May, but keeping it 100, I think it's probably going to be about June. You know what I'm okay. saying? But it's when I'm on the tour for the mixtape tour.
1: Okay. Well, that'll be perfect timing because that'll be right before the fight.
2: Oh, bless yeah. up. Wait, wait, what fight? The well, fight that on we're on, gonna,
1: yeah, yeah, go ahead, James.
0: <laughs> on a, we're James having promotions, putting on um, a show in Atlanta. I mean, not Atlanta, Gwinnett, Georgia. OK, and uh, it's going to it's going to be nice. We, we, I'm doing something that no other promoter did. So uh, it's called keeping the legacies alive. Good for you. So it's man. It's going to be really interesting. And uh, it's hard to speak about it because I just because I have to I have to get everything official right now. We, we're getting everything together. But I don't want to tell anybody about the card, because if I do, somebody else that's already ready to go, might say,
2: "Whoop!" <laughs> that's <laughs> right. To keep it low you know that's right
0: <laughs> <laughs> i
2: would love to support that event if i'm around i would love to come out and support that
0: awesome Red carpet all day all right rona so
1: um i will let you know as soon as um this show is edited and everything and uh we're gonna blast this out on linkedin facebook instagram twitter everything <laughs> you.
2: thank you thank you for this this was great
1: you're welcome, you're welcome. all right until
2: time yes huh? until next time i'll see until you
1: guys <laughs> <right>. <laughs> sounds good okay.
2: all right no doubt
1: god bless you take care
2: y'all take care thank all you right.
1: you can find rona bennett at her website ronabennett.com and her social media handles are facebook Rona Bennett 7 instagram official miss r and and twitter miss r and Thank you so much for watching Living on Purpose Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel.